Hey, y'all. This week's episode contains subject matter related to mental health and suicide. So just a warning if you need to skip this one. Also, if you or a loved one is in crisis, please know that there's help. We've linked a bunch of resources in the episode description. All right, here's the show. When Delina Abraham was in college, she had a friendship that felt really special. The kind where you survive breakups together, celebrate together, and are just constantly by each other's side. Like, we would laugh all the time about how people thought we were dating because just we were inseparable. And we fully embraced that. I was like, yeah, I'm your soulmate. Fuck these guys. Like, (laughs) let's just, let's get married. Delina met Priya Balagopal in college in North Carolina. Priya was a few years older, but even after she graduated, she'd visit Delina all the time, practically lived in her apartment. They'd go out to dinner, go dancing, they'd run errands together. When Delina went through a breakup, Priya made her a specialized set of mixtapes, one for each stage of a breakup. The first was labeled, This Sucks. And like, they're all like really sad songs. But the fourth one is like, I'm hot, bitch. And like, it's all these like Beyonce and like Cardi B. But Delina knew, despite the laughing fits and the sleepovers, Priya was struggling, grappling with some darker feelings. Priya told her she had two suicide attempts and that depression and anxiety were a constant part of her life. I always sympathized, even though I didn't, like, fully understand it. She would just be, like, pretty honest and be like, this really sucks, you know? Um, I wish it didn't feel this way. Delina didn't fully grasp the depths of Priya's struggles until about a year into their friendship. We had, like, we, we didn't fight at all, ever, really. And then, like, there was one night, I remember, that was kind of our very first fight. I don't need to get into the details of the fight. It's not really relevant. But basically, they were out dancing, and the night ended on a bad note. Then, the next morning, Priya showed up at Delina's apartment. And she was like, I'm sorry, like, can we talk? And I was like, I have to go to class. And she was like, well, can I just, like, wait at your place? And I was like, sure, whatever. Delina left for class and came home a few hours later. As I walked in the door, I saw her car was still parked outside my apartment, and I was like, Priya, like, are you here? Delina nudged open her bedroom door. The first thing she noticed were the clothes. Like, all of my clothes were, like, very neat. Like, I had, like, a basket of laundry. She had, like, neatly folded all of my clothes across my bed. And then Delina saw Priya, lying on the floor, unconscious. And that was, like, this moment of, like, panic and, like, fear and guilt and everything. And it just, like, I mean, fear is really, like, the the key word there. And all of the, like, possible, like, outcomes, like, just racing through my head. All the stories Priya had told her about her depression came flooding back. She thought, okay, breathe. I need to call 911. I need to call an ambulance. And then she had this other thought. Something else Priya had told her that plagued her on top of the depression. All of the things that she had told me about, like, previous attempts, like, when she was in high school and, like, earlier in college and, like, this financial burden on her parents, like, they're still paying off, like, some of those hospital bills and, like, Mm. all of that, like, rushed to my head and I was like, can't call an ambulance, like, they're going to have more bills. Delina thought, I need to save Priya without putting her in more debt. So instead of calling an ambulance, she grabbed Priya, hauled her over her shoulder and scrambled to her car. 
And like, so I literally like carried her and like, like 90 miles per hour to the hospital and like got her like admitted. In reporting the story, I talked to suicide prevention experts and they all paused at this part and said, I should pause the story here that it'd be responsible to remind you that not calling an ambulance in this kind of situation can be lethal, that you shouldn't hesitate, no matter the cost. Priya had overdosed, and the doctors were able to save her. But I keep thinking about what Delina said, about how, despite being in this moment of complete panic and fear, where her best friend's life was truly on the line, she felt like she had to think about the money, about the cost of the ambulance and the hospital bills— It was a factor, something she calculated, because she knew that her best friend did too. I'm Rima Khreis, and welcome to This is Uncomfortable, a show for Marketplace about life and how money messes with it. Depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, they don't always show up in ways that other people can easily understand. But mental health is like any other health matter. It's important to take care of and can come with real financial consequences. For Priya, it often felt like this cruel hamster wheel of expensive hospital stays with varying therapeutic relief, plunging her family into debt, which then became a stressor that didn't help her mental health, only to occur more expensive health costs than more debt and so on. It's a vicious cycle millions of people find themselves trapped in. On today's show, the high cost of one woman's mental illness. This episode, in a way, is also about decisions. A few months after that overdose, in 2016, Priya died by suicide. Reporting on suicide is incredibly complicated, and I initially wasn't sure how to do this episode— Without Priya here to speak for herself, I worried I wouldn't be able to fully capture who she was. When you're telling the story of someone's life who's no longer here, which parts do you tell? Which parts do you keep private? So I want to be transparent with y'all about some of the decisions I've made. I actually knew Priya. I went to the same college as her and Delina at the University of North Carolina. We weren't close, but Priya and I were both in this leadership program, and we'd see each other every now and then and say hi, you know, just small talk. She had long, shiny black hair and a big smile. In the years since Priya's death, I found myself thinking about her, and in particular, what happened in the aftermath of her death. To help make sense of it, I went to North Carolina and visited Priya's mom. This was over a year ago, before the pandemic. So growing up, this was Priya's bedroom. Right. Both the they shared the bedroom, yes. Her and her sister. Yes. That's Priya's mom, Geetha Balagopal. She's a small woman with short, dark hair. She showed me Priya's old bedroom. It was pink and colorful, felt frozen in time from when she was a teenager. She always carried that bag. Which bag is the that? The Vera Bradley. Oh, the blue one, the blue and brown one? Yeah. It actually smelled like her. That's why I wanted to preserve that smell. It had a light, flowery smell to it. Even though it had been years since her death, a lot of Priya's things were still relatively untouched. That's Priya's bookcase. So those are her books? Uh, Some of it. Uh, She loved Harry Potter, so we kept just the Harry Potter books. I think I... Priya's mom showed me some of her old writings, her New Year's resolutions. 
but they felt too private to share publicly. So instead, I'll tell you that her dance jacket still hung in the closet, and there were still psychology textbooks on Priya's shelf. Her plan was to get a Ph.D. Geetha was eager to talk about Priya, and while I wanted to be sure she was comfortable, it seemed like she was more focused on making sure that I was. You sure you don't want to eat anything? Oh, I'm good, thank you. For the rest of Priya's story, I'll try to go chronologically, or at least my understanding of it. Geetha tells me, as a kid, Priya was a bit of a perfectionist, a straight-A student who never missed class. And she spoke her mind, like the time she chased down her younger sister's bullies with a string of curse words that both impressed and shocked her mom. Priya grew up middle class. Her parents immigrated to the U.S. from India. Her mom, Geetha, traveled with just two suitcases and a $20 bill. You know, we never had much money, but I was never behind on a single bill. I have been in this country since 1985. I've not paid a penny in credit card interest, not a penny. Priya apparently would always joke that she had a Saks Fifth Avenue taste on a Walmart budget. Priya was 15, the first time she opened up about her mental health. She came to me one summer. She came down and said, Mom, I think I have OCD. And my response was, you have too much time on your hands disorder. Just get busy. So it didn't really phase you? No. I just thought she was just bored. Geetha told me she just kind of let it pass. Priya seemed fine. She was a good daughter and a hardworking student. It wasn't until a couple years later when Geetha started to think differently. They were driving on the highway. She was taking Priya to school. And that's when she said that life didn't seem worth living. And uh, I almost ran off the road, but I composed myself and said, why, why are you saying that? And she said she felt really hopeless. And I told her that I would look for a doctor and she can talk to the doctor. Right away, Geetha looked for help. Priya's doctors would eventually confirm that she had borderline personality disorder, anxiety, and depression. And at that point, did you have a sense that she was feeling that way? No, I just just thought it was a a feeling. I didn't know that it was ever-present. Because I, you know, in India, when you grow up, if you say anything like that, they would just say, suck it up. And, you know, so my culture, the culture I grew up in was different. A few weeks after she was prescribed antidepressants, Priya attempted suicide for the first time. She was a senior in high school. How did things shift for you after that? We didn't want to ask her too many questions. We were just happy she was okay. But the psychiatrist on call, I think he had um, asked her if she would do it again, and she said yes. But there was a thing that Priya told her that gave Geetha a sort of strange kind of optimism. A reason Priya said she wanted to stay alive that I think is worth sharing with you. She said, Mom, people shouldn't try to kill themselves because they bankrupt their families. After her first attempt, Priya was worried about the cost for the hospital and psychiatric stays. It would take over a year for her family to pay off the bills. And, like, truthfully, were you ever stressed about the money that you all were spending on mental health? Yeah, there was 
there was times you were stressed in the sense that, you know, how am I going to pay the mortgage or, you know, Shalini was also in school. I wanted to make sure that she's taken care of. She's talking about Priya's younger sister. I always knew I could tap into my retirement funds if necessary. Many people who are sick like Priya find themselves fixated on the costs. I've talked with doctors who told me that they have patients who really need to be hospitalized but practically beg not to be so they don't have to deal with the expenses. It also doesn't help that insurance coverage for mental health is often more restrictive than coverage for other medical conditions. And as with any sort of health costs, it quickly adds up. There is affordable therapy out there, but if your insurance doesn't cover it, it can cost upwards of $200 a session. Plus, there's the cost of medications, and experts say psychiatric hospitalizations can run up to $12,000. I think that's ridiculous. Somebody just goes to a hospital and comes out and their entire life savings wiped out. It's not right. A few years after her first attempt, Priya made another attempt, and then another. And each time, she'd grow more worried about the money, the cost of therapy and her medications. After her second attempt, she didn't even skip a beat before asking about the bills. The second time also, she came back from the hospital and said, okay, how much is it? Uh, she asked you that? I remember that. She asked me that. And, and what did you say? I said, uh, well, the statement said like $13,000, but Priya, we don't have to pay that much. You know, we'll have to wait and see how much insurance pays, and then we could do just like a monthly plan. And I wasn't really worried about it. I mean, I, I was a little worried about it, but I wasn't going to tell her that I was worried. Because I didn't think, I think she just needed to be a student and let me take care of it. And I imagine as a mom, like, there's no price tag on... No, no, not at all. Geetha did eventually dip into her retirement funds and sell a lot of her gold jewelry. She also cut back on general life expenses, like they didn't go on vacations or out to eat. But again, Geetha didn't hesitate at all to do any of those things, and she never missed a payment. She also tried her best to not cut back on Priya's day-to-day expenses or talk with her about money. Still... Priya insisted on helping. She just basically said, I want to pay for it. I want to help pay for it. And I said, fine. Priya felt like a burden. It's really common for people who are suicidal to inaccurately see themselves that way. Of course, Keitha never felt like Priya was a burden. But she figured if chipping in would make Priya feel better, then sure. Priya picked up a job as a receptionist and gave almost all of her paychecks to her mom to help pay the bills. When someone is struggling with depression or suicidal thoughts, the way they feel and the way they act can sometimes seem at odds with one another. For Priya, she may have felt tired and antisocial, but she got good at hiding it, to show from the outside that she was okay, that maybe things were even getting better. When Priya started college, that's how it seemed. She was doing well in her classes, she was part of a Bhangra dance team, she was co-president for a mental health advocacy group, And in her spare time, she volunteered for a suicide hotline. She was an advocate, very passionate about the subject, so I didn't think that she was going to kill herself. But quietly, 
Priya was struggling with her mental health and the financial toll it took. That's after the break. It wasn't always clear to others that Priya was struggling. She often had this energetic, happy-go-lucky exterior, and she was super involved in campus life. I remember in our student group, she took on a leadership role, and she had a pretty vibrant social life. After Priya graduated, she and Delina, you know, her friend who we heard from at the beginning of the story, would go out to bars and dance. And Delina told me if someone catcalled them, Priya would yell right back. She would just stop dead in her tracks, like not afraid for her life or safety. She would Mm. turn around and like say something. She would just say something. She'd be like, that is not okay. Or like Mm. she would cuss him out. Like she was just not afraid. She was loyal and protective of her friends. Like there was the time Delina wanted to try out for this competitive college dance team. And then on like audition day, I was like, no, Avery, I'm not going. Like, I can't do this. Like, I'm so stressed out. And like, I was like literally ready to chicken out. And she dragged me to auditions, came with me, sat like right next to the judges, pulled out her phone and was like recording me and like the entire, like in the middle of, of the audition, like video that she took, she you like hear her voice. Like, she's like, like so close to the camera and she's like, Delina is a sex goddess. <laughs> Still cracks me. She's like up. the ultimate hype woman. She really was. Yes, yes, that is exactly it. <laughs> uh, Delina, by the way, ended up making the team, and Priya showed up at the first practice just to cheer her on. Meanwhile, as Priya grew older, things got harder. I'm not going to go into too much detail, but in college, she became a survivor of sexual assault and rape. It left her with a lot of trauma, which experts tell me can increase someone's risk of dying by suicide. Months after her graduation, Priya was getting ready to move to Atlanta for a new job. Her mom, Geetha, was worried about Priya being so far from home. It was shortly after Priya had overdosed, that morning when Delina found her. At that time, I remember telling the psychiatrist, I don't know how to keep her alive. I don't know how to save her from herself. Please help us. I remember as soon as I said that, Priya was on the other end of the room. And I, I remember she came running and she knelt at my feet and grabbed my hand. And she said, I promise I won't kill myself when I go to Atlanta. After Priya moved, about once a week, she and Delina would catch up on FaceTime. According to Delina, it seemed like Priya was having a hard time adjusting to a new place. But generally speaking, she seemed okay. But back in Raleigh, North Carolina, Priya's mom, Geetha, was worried. She felt helpless, so far away. But she tried staying in touch with Priya as much as possible. And when Priya came home in 2015 for the holidays, Geetha noticed she was drained and sleeping a lot, but she figured she was just tired from work and traveling. In retrospect, she now knows this was a warning sign. When Priya went back to Georgia... Geetha started texting her every day, things that she couldn't respond to with just a yes or no. And Geetha noticed at the end of almost every text, Priya would end with the word mom. Like, thanks mom, or goodnight mom. Geetha felt deep down like something was off. And then something happened that Geetha can't forget. One early morning in January of 2016, she awoke to a text message. 
I got a text from her at like 7 o'clock in the morning. It was a random request. She said, Mom, I'm, I have to do a, I'm doing a life skills exercise and I have to make a table with all my expenses. And what sorts of things did she ask for? She, uh, she said, I need to uh, make a spreadsheet of my expenses, uh, student loans, hospital bill, car insurance. Her mom gave Priya all of the amounts. It totaled to about $32,000. A few nights later, Delina was sitting on her couch watching a movie with her boyfriend when she also got an unexpected message from Priya. An email. Priya wrote, Delina, you mean a lot to me. You're the best friend a girl could ask for. So I want you to have access to my online accounts and journals. I think you'll like them. Delina knew Priya loved journaling. She wrote in her online journal almost every night. And so she had given me, like, the username and passwords to, like, a bunch of her accounts. And um, what were you thinking in that moment? I was, I, I didn't think much of it, which, like, obviously, like, now I, like, slap myself. She says Priya was a quirky person, so it didn't faze her that she'd do something like that. Looking back, Delina now sees this as a warning sign. This kind of behavior, giving away passwords or prized possessions, can be a sign that someone is at risk for suicide. I texted her back and was like, hey, just saw your email. That was just so sweet. Like, I uh, love you too. Or something just like so yeah. short and random and like didn't think much of it. But that next morning, everything changed. Geetha, Priya's mom, was on a work call when she got a text from one of Priya's co-workers. She said, hi, Ms. Balagopal. When was the last time you talked to Priya? And I thought, what a strange question. The co-worker said Priya hadn't shown up that day. Geetha tried Priya, but no response. So she texted Delina, asking, hey, have you heard from Priya by chance? And I was like, oh, they like go out to like the city sometimes. So maybe um, like she went to the city, like do something. Why don't you like check to see if she ordered an Uber? Because that's the only way she could get around. And so it was this like kind of like manhunt all day on like January 11th. Suddenly, Delina was in a group chat with Gita and a couple other friends. We would be like, oh, like, did you try find my iPhone? Oh, did you try her credit card? Oh, did you try her Uber account? Did you try this? Did you try that? There was about five of us. We were all chatting back and forth. We didn't know where she could have gone because she didn't have a car. I was like, we're going to find her. We're going to find her. It's going to be okay. And I was trying not to let the, like, negative script take over. And I was like, no, she's probably just somewhere, like, trying to process, like, some emotion. I did check her credit cards. Then Delina said, she sent me a really weird email last night. It, like, all just kind of hit me out of nowhere. And I was like, oh, shit, her, like, daily journals, she would have written about where she went, and she just gave me the password to it. So I immediately, like, logged into that, and, like, my heart just, like, immediately sank. The night before, Priya had written about how she planned to take her life. And I just, like, full panic mode was, like, reading, like, this last, like, journal entry. And I immediately called her mom and was like, you need to call the police. That whole day was a blur for Geetha. But she remembers the phone call clearly. At 3.30 p.m., Geetha's phone rang. It was the medical examiner. And she, she just simply said, I have your daughter. 
It's, it was just so surreal. It was, you know, you're just trying to get through what happened, and its death is so final, you know. When Delina got the call from Priya's family confirming her death, she sat on her bed, alone. And I have, like, all of these, like, pictures of us up on my wall, like, like literally right beside me, literally of just me and her, like, all over my wall. Mm. And, um, and I just, like, remember looking up, like, over my shoulder at all of these photos. And I was like, no, Priya, like, no way. What have you done? Like, no. Even though she had three prior attempts, I never thought that she would go that route. I thought, I thought she was just trying to kill her pain, not herself. Priya died by suicide on January 11th, 2016. I'm not going to go into the details of how she did it. And this is where more of these decisions come in. What do you share about someone who can't share it themselves now? Suicide prevention experts I talked to said if we get into the details, it could be triggering. And so, actually, there's a lot I'm not going to say about Priya's death. But I will say that she left a public note. In it, she wrote about the depression, trauma, sexual assault, and anxiety she lived through. How hard she fought to keep living. How painful it was to keep living. And she also wrote about just how expensive it was to treat her mental illness. The therapy, the medications, the hospital stays all of which gave her little therapeutic relief and a mountain of bills. The thousands of dollars worth of bills that Priya had texted her mom asking about. And that debt weighed heavily on Priya. Priya wrote she tried to last long enough to pay the money back. But she didn't make it. Instead, she asked others to donate to a GoFundMe for her family. Even though Priya may have thought she was helping her family with this money, her mom was devastated by it. And I was angry, very, very angry. Because she, she had written things like, I tried to live long enough to pay the bills. That haunts me. She, she shouldn't have to worry about that. Try to live long enough to pay the bills, so that was her life's objective, to make sure you pay your debt. I mean, it wasn't like we weren't without funds. We could have sold the house. We could have sold the... I would have done anything. Geetha was appalled as donations came in from friends and strangers. Wouldn't bring herself to touch any of it. I don't want a penny of this money. I cannot... I will not take it. I can't. She, she died for this. I don't want to profit monetarily from it. It's not right. Instead, Geetha donated the money to a community organization, one that helps people struggling with mental health and suicide. In a way, Priya had put a price tag on her illness, feeling like the money was a burden, like she was a burden. Even though, again, her family absolutely never felt like that. So for the mentally ill, their perception is their reality. It's very, very cruel. It's very real to them. Whatever they perceive, it's very real to them. And as smart as Priya was and all the advocacy work she did at that moment in time when she wrote this, that was her perception. So, no. That's a really, really good point. 
It's like the state that she was in when she wrote that. She was sick. She was sick. I think she thought by trying to leave money behind that maybe it would soften the pain. But in the end, Geetha says it just created more problems and a lot more anguish. Still, Priya was pretty spot on about other things. In her note, she wrote about how depression and anxiety, they don't always show up in ways other people see or understand. How people don't always treat those with mental health issues like they would if you have cancer. How you don't get cards or dinners or trips to Disney World when you want to kill yourself. It's not always seen for what it is, as a serious health issue. After all, the brain is a physical organ, just like every other organ in our body. Instead, people are sometimes more likely to blame you and not the sickness. In fact, Geetha tells me that days after her daughter's suicide, people in her community blamed her. She remembers what this one acquaintance told her. She said she knew a lot of people with the same illness as Priya and that my husband and I didn't spend enough money taking her to a good doctor, otherwise she would be alive today. That was the last time I ever spoke to that lady. That's, that's awful. Yeah. I've had people come tell me that she's in hell because oh she took God. her own life. Um, that I had people tap me on the shoulder at the Hindu temple and said, you and your daughter inflicted so much pain and suffering on another soul in a prior lifetime, so now you have to endure this. No. And I kept telling myself that, don't you dare cry, she's wrong. She's wrong, but it, I cried for more than two weeks. Geetha began to realize how mental illness is so grossly misunderstood and how that only pushes people, people like her daughter, into these dark corners of shame and silence. I think she was in tremendous pain and she fought and fought and fought. It's a very cruel disease, very cruel disease. And I believe mental illness is the only illness that the person is blamed for their illness. And for a while, Geetha even blamed herself. In the months after Priya's death, Geetha questioned her worth as a mom. She'd ask herself, what good am I if I couldn't help my child? How could I have not known that she was this sick? She'd look at pictures of Priya and Jaciel. Why did you choose me to be your mom? Looking back, Geetha and Delina say they felt guilty, that in hindsight there are red flags they missed. But experts tell me it's normal to feel like that after a loved one's suicide. The aftermath can feel incredibly disorienting and deeply painful, that they were doing the best they could with the information they had. Geetha joined a support group and started reading books and articles about suicide, and that's when she decided to continue the advocacy work her daughter started. She now speaks at conferences, goes to fundraising events, and shares Priya's story with anyone who will listen. I did promise her that I would honor her every day for the rest of my life. I would honor her. I still pretend sometimes I'll talk to her, you know, and uh, I'll tell her about my day and, you know, whatever we need to do to get through. But, you know, I've, I've made peace with what happened. I have to.
Over the last five years, since her death, I've found myself at random moments thinking of Priya. The way I knew her was pretty surface level. I can still see her sort of bouncing up and down, enthusiastically talking to people during our club meetings. It feels strange knowing so many intimate things about her now, after her death. And even after knowing everything about her suicide attempts, her concerns about money, I still don't actually know her. Even the people closest to her may never quite understand the true depths of her pain, but can drive someone to take their own life. I think that's partly because there's no one single reason that led to her suicide. It would be wrong to say it was about the money. In fact, research shows that despite how it may seem, rarely anyone takes their life for a single reason. It's usually a mix of different factors. If anything, money was a stressor that added on to all the mental health challenges she was dealing with. Because really, if you live in this country and you have a severe illness, you're almost bound to feel burdened by bills. Money can easily get wrapped up in all the heavy emotions that come with being sick, consuming and weighing you down even more. Sure, it may have been one of the last things on Priya's mind, but I think that speaks volumes about the cost of care in this country. It says less about her than it does about us. Before I go, I want to make it very clear that this is one person's story and it doesn't apply equally to other people. And while Priya felt burdened by the costs, there is help available and places that offer free or low-cost mental health care. Suicide is a leading cause of death in the U.S., but it is preventable. Help is always available, and if you're struggling, you're not alone and you can get better. If you or a loved one is in crisis, please, please reach out to the crisis text line. You can text TALK to 741-741, or you can find help by calling the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. Also, if you know someone who's struggling, experts told me that you should trust your gut and ask them directly. Research shows that talking about suicide will not push anyone to kill themselves. Often, they may even feel relieved that someone cares enough to ask. You can learn more about suicide prevention at AFSP.org. That's the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. It's an incredibly helpful website with a lot of good information. All right, that is all for this week's show. If you want to share any thoughts with me and the team, you can always reach us at uncomfortable at marketplace.org. This is Uncomfortable is me, Rima Khreis. Megan Dietrich, Haley Hirschman, Peter Balanon-Rosen, and Camila Kerwin. The lead producer for this episode is Peter Balanon-Rosen. Editing by Karen Duffin and Caitlin Esch. Our intern is Mark Hay Green. Tony Wagner is our digital producer. Sound design and audio engineering by Drew Jostad. Satara Nieves is the executive director of On Demand. And special thanks this week to Brett Ween, Anne Luce, Dan Reidenberg, and Sarah Kramer. And our theme music is by Wonderly. All right, I'll catch y'all next week.